All right, good. Let's turn over to Mark chapter 1. I'm excited about this Global Bridegroom Fast these next seven days. I want to encourage you to bring in the canned goods and the, the gift cards. We want to bless the, the poor over this holiday season. I love it. I love that we have the opportunity to do that. It's good. Let's have another word of prayer and ask the Lord to come. Minister to us through the word. Lord, we love you. We love you. We love you. Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to come. Lord, I pray, release your presence on this room. I'm asking for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to be released in this house. I pray that our hearts would be open and tender, soft to the Spirit of the Lord. It's you, Holy Spirit, you're the great teacher. Now instruct us, I'm asking. Draw us into a revelation of the knowledge of God and the power and the desire that you have to heal your people. God, I'm asking for revelation of the healing power of God to be released on this community that we would truly see signs and wonders and miracles. Now come, Holy Spirit. 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 If you're suffering with migraine headaches, I just want you to stand. I want to pray for you. Do you have one right now? In the name of Jesus, I command the migraine to leave her. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Now. 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 How's it going, Hannah? Does it feel, do you feel any pain still? Or? It's completely gone. Thank you, Jesus. Are you standing? Are you standing? Let's pray for you. In the name of Jesus, Lord, I'm asking. Touch her and heal her. The migraine headache. We curse and rebuke migraines in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus. Be healed. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to start a series on healing. I love the Lord. He's really helpful. I'm going, God, if we're going to teach on healing, you better heal a few people. (laughs) For real. (laughs) He's good. Um, So we're going to teach a, a, a few weeks. I don't really know how far we'll go. I As I begin to look into this, topic again. Um, I'm sure we've all looked at it over different seasons of time in our lives. If you've been in the Lord any amount of time, I'm sure you've looked at these thoughts in the Bible about healing. Um, But as I began to look at it, I realized there were so many angles to come, that so many thoughts that we can, uh, you know, consider and chew on as it relates, relates to the healing power of God. You could literally teach on this for months. And so uh, I don't anticipate that. I think it'll be 
you know, four to eight weeks or something like that. But I'm believing that as we continue to share on healing, that the Lord is going to continue to demonstrate and to release healing in our midst. And I, I'm looking for the water level of healing to go up uh, just across the board in our, in our environment. I, we need healing to be out of the box and loosed in our community in a big way. And, uh, and so we just, we just need to lean into these things and allow the Lord to instruct our hearts. And I'm trusting God to, to manifest the truth of his word in our midst. I, um, I was told once that the reason why God wanted to heal was because that he is a good shepherd. And, and how would it be if, you know, he said, listen, I'm a good shepherd. And, uh, and somebody said, well, if you're such a good shepherd, let me see your sheep. And, and then he turned and said, well, there's my sheep. And all the sheep were all, you know, tattered and torn and broken and sick. And, he, and the, the person told me, he said, the reason why God put healing is because he couldn't be the good shepherd and have a bunch of sick sheep. And I kind of went, huh, yeah, that's right. God doesn't want to look bad. So he had to heal us. Because he's the good shepherd. And I, you know, for a long time, that little thing, that little seed was in the back of my mind. That God put healing into the whole covenant with us because he didn't want to look bad. And I, you know, I, as I, you know, approached this topic again, I went, man, that little, that little seed is back there somewhere. I can't believe that. But it, it is sort of governed uh, in certain ways, my mentality of God's motivation for healing. And then I began to realize that uh, me personally, just maybe you already know the answer, but me personally, I didn't have a clear picture of God's motive for healing. I didn't, I didn't just didn't have it. Didn't know why. What, what's motivating you? Now everybody knows you know, God is love, so it's got to be love. You know, okay, yeah, that's nice, and that's good and generic, and that's good, that's truth. But there's, there's a um, clearer answer than just the, the, the broad, you know, well, you, know, it's, you know, it's like when you're a little kid and you're in Sunday school class, and they ask the question, if you just answer and say Jesus, you know, <laughs> not what Kirk told us last week, if you just say Jesus, then, then it's probably the right answer. So, you know, the love of God might be the right answer, but there's a, there's a more specific idea to what motivates the Lord to heal. And as I began to look at uh, the verses on healing, it became so clear to me what was motivating the heart of Jesus. So I want to get into these uh, verses, and I want to draw some, some thoughts out, and then I want to talk about the motivator for healing tonight. In Mark 1, Jesus is in Galilee, and he's healing everybody. He's <laughs> creating quite a stir Verse 39, it says, and he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and casting out demons. And now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus, moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him. 
and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. As soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. And he strictly warned him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. I was meditating on these verses of healing. I went through and looked at all the times when the healing account wasn't specific. It was just general, and it would say something like this. They brought all their sick people to Jesus, and he healed all of them. And there's sometimes when it says they brought all the sick from, and they would name three or four different cities. I mean, you're talking about, you know, probably thousands of people. And then it would say, and he laid his hands on them all. And they were all healed. And I'm sitting there thinking about it. And I've been in meetings where maybe I had to lay hands on 500 or 1,000 people. And it takes hours. I mean, to to lay hands on 1,000 people, unless you just go boom, 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 boom. I mean, it takes hours to do that. And I can't imagine that they bring, you know, thousands of sick people from all the, I mean, everybody that's sick, they bring every one of them. They're bringing people on cots and stretchers. They're bringing demonized people that are, that are thrashing about and manifesting things and growling and spitting and barking. They're bringing every kind of person with every kind of malady, the blind, the mute, I mean, people with leprosy, people that are maimed. They've got, you know, you know they've got one arm. I mean, they're all sorts of disfigured people. And Jesus touches every one of them. I was, I mean, I was just, it was just ministering to my heart to think about being the sick guy and Jesus himself actually puts his hand on him. Like, there are real guys that really walked the planet that were really sick and they didn't get laid hands on them by some minister. Jesus himself put his hand on that guy and they got healed. And I just, I don't know, putting myself in those places and considering those stories and what that must have been like. I mean, can you imagine the celebration when 1,500 or 3,000 sick people show up and all of them leave healed? I mean, Luke, I love uh, Luke chapter 6, verse 19. I'm sure I'll say it again because the verse is just, I just love the verse. It says he was healing all these different kind of people. I mean, some were demonized, some had torments, some were, you know, had palsies. They had all these different kind of of sicknesses. And And it basically says, the picture I get is he's healing people. And then all of a sudden, they all begin to touch him because they all realize power was going out of him. So, it, you know, it starts off in a nice little thing, you know. You, you've got the person that's paralyzed. Jesus lays hands on him. The paralyzed guy gets up and walks away. The next guy goes, this is awesome. I'm next. The deaf guy, Jesus touches his ears. Bang, he's heal- hearing. The next guy is blind. Jesus touches his eyes. Bang, he's seeing. The next guy, he goes, all three of them got it. I'm going to get it. And rather than him waiting for Jesus to touch him, That guy grabs Jesus, just grabs him. Bam, power goes out of Jesus and heals him. 
And that guy walks away and they go, what just happened to you? He goes, I just grabbed him. And the, the guy next to him goes, hey, no, no, I was about two feet away and I felt it. There's something coming out of him. There's power coming out of him. I felt it. My little girl was right there, and she's been paralyzed in the feet, and she just got close enough and touched him, and bang, she's healed. And they all began to touch him because power was exuding from Jesus. You know what? Power is still exuding from Jesus. But I just, what was that day like when the most meek man that's ever lived is getting thronged by the crowds because power is flowing? And so here he is, he's preaching, he's teaching in all the synagogues. And he's healing all their sick, he's delivering all the demonized. And he walks out, I believe this is how it happened, he walks out of a certain synagogue and there is a man in front of him with live leprosy. Now live leprosy, we don't have anything that's really like that. It's the, it's the most contagious kind of sickness you could ever want. The, the flesh is rotting from the bone, rotting off the body and rotting from, and completely off, and the bone is showing. The, the flesh is putrefying on the person. And they had to wrap themselves with gauze, and, and, and I mean, they didn't have gauze then, but they just wrapped themselves with cloth to stop the oozing because the sores that would open would ooze. And it was so contagious, they had to try to contain it. And then the leper, he couldn't be in the camp with all the other people. He, had, he was banished. The law of Moses said this, if you've got any kind of a leprosy in a clothing, any kind of a, a fungus that would grow in the clothing, you've got to take that clothing, you've got to cut that piece that's got the, the fungus, the leprosy growing, you've got to take that and cut that out. And if it grows in the rest of that piece of clothing, you've got to burn that clothing. If your house had some sort of leprosy or some sort of fungus growing in it, they would say, take that brick area, you got to take that out and throw that away. And if the house continued to have that thing uh, growing in it, you had to destroy the home. For the person that contracted leprosy, they would take them out seven days. They had to go away and come back. And if the leprosy was growing on their body, they were banished out of the community. And if anybody came near them, they would have to yell, unclean unclean so that nobody could get near the leper because it was so contagious and so this man with the leprosy he goes ahead and breaks all the rules he shows up right outside the synagogue and he goes up to Jesus with live leprosy I mean what did he look like did he have did he have cloth all wrapped around his face was the blood oozing through the cloth what, what, what did he smell like his flesh was rotting and he says to Jesus, if you're willing, and here's what's going on in his mind. He goes, you've healed everybody else. What about somebody like me? That's what's going on in his mind. You've healed blind. You've healed deaf. You've healed little paralyzed people, little paralyzed children. You've healed every kind of malady. I've seen you cast out demons. I've heard all the stories. What about somebody as grotesque as me? If you're willing. That's, that's a loaded question because that man is talking about the truth of his state. He was a banished reality from their society. Should not have been there. Should not have been talking to Jesus. And he says to Jesus, if you're willing, 
I know you can make me clean. And then you get the phrase. You get what's moving in the heart of Jesus. Jesus was moved with compassion. Moved with compassion. And he looks at this leprous man. And he does the absolutely most unthinkable thing any healed person would do. He touches him. He touches him. When the Son of God touches the leper, he's communicating far more than the fact that he's powerful and able to heal. He's communicating a truth of the heart of God as it relates to the suffering of people. Lepers couldn't be touched. It was against the law to touch them. And Jesus, he touches them. Jesus kneels with harlots. Jesus eats dinner with sinners. Jesus casts legions out of men that run around naked living in graveyards and eats dinner with them afterwards. And Jesus, he touches lepers. He touches lepers. So this man with the live leprosy, he says, if you're willing to deal with somebody as disfigured, dysfunctional, and disgusting as I am, I know you're able. And he goes, oh, I am willing. And he touches him. And immediately when he touches him, the leprosy leaves him. And his skin becomes as fresh as a newborn babe. I mean, what kind of a celebration, I mean, what kind of an exaltation in his soul when he realized where he had gaping wounds with oozing pus leaking out of his body, that those are now closed up, completely healed, and his flesh is fresh. What was going on in that man? I'm going to tell you what, that man probably touched everybody after that. And the point of it is, Jesus is moved with compassion. He's moved with compassion. See, that thing that I was told that, you know, he just heals people because he doesn't want to look bad. It's completely, completely opposite of the truth of who he is. Twelve different times through the gospel accounts, twelve different times, the motivator for Jesus to release a miracle was compassion. Seeing the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. And what does he do? He takes a few fish and a few loaves and feeds 5,000. Compassion. Compassion is the issue and the attribute of God 
that has caused God to not only just name himself healer, but to manifest healing in the earth. The issue is compassion. I started thinking about compassion, trying to understand this, this term, compassion. And I, I tried to write my own definition for compassion. You know what's funny is when you think you know a word, but you don't really know the word. You sort of know how to use it in a sentence, but you don't really know it. I began to look at this term compassion and began to try to understand it, and I realized that there's a lot more to compassion than I thought there was. I want to give you the Hebrew word that's used in the Old Testament. I want to give you the Greek word that's used in the New Testament. I want to give you a picture of what those terms actually literally mean, and then you'll understand what's actually operating in the heart of God as it relates to the way he feels about people who are sick. There's two words in the Old Testament that are used. One is used... Uh, 125 different times. It's the main word, the main Hebrew term. And I'm not going to try to give you the, uh, I, I don't speak Hebrew. <laughs> and I, I don't do that <sighs> thing very good. So it's R A C H A M. R A C H A M. Racham. That word literally means to hold gently and to caress. To hold gently and to caress. So when it says he's gracious and compassionate, he's talking about the Father loves to hold you gently and caress you. He loves to let you put, his, put your head on his chest and, and hold you near his heart. He loves to gently love you. Our God is gracious and he loves to hold us gently and rub us. <laughs> little kids love to be rubbed. I know, I have three little boys. And they love their, they just love to be rubbed. Rub them on the head, rub them on the back. Just hold them and rub them. Love on them. That's our father. The, the Greek word is way, way, way hard to pronounce. It's got about 17 letters. Let's see, it's got 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. 14 letters. For fun, I'll try it. Splanknizomai. Splanknizomai. Our word is compassion. And what it means to be is to be moved in one's inward parts. To be moved in one's inward parts. And the idea is this. They talked about, the Greeks would talk about the seat of the emotions as the deepest part of the emotions in the individual. And they would call that the bowels as the deepest uh, location for the emotions. And so when 
Somebody was moved with compassion. Some of the translations will say, in the bowels of their compassion, or the bowels of compassion. And what it means is this, that the deepest part of the individual's emotions, there is a yearning and a sense, a sense of mercy and something happening in the depth of their heart that is connecting with the suffering that someone else is going through and in the, the, the depths of their emotions, they are moved for that person and compelled to act. See, because compassion just isn't the feeling of feeling sorry, empathizing. Compassion is, I am moved in the deepest part of my being for how you are feeling and the challenges and the suffering and the trials that you're in and I'm going to do something about it. And so when it says Jesus looked at the leprous man who's bloody and wrapped in clothes and disgusting, he was moved in the deepest part of his emotions. He was moved for that man. He said, if you're able, he goes, if you're willing, I know you're able he goes, oh, I am so willing. My heart is moving, and I recognize your suffering. And be healed. The motivator for God to put healing into our relationship with him is the issue of compassion. He is connected to our need, and he, he wanted to be so connected to our need that he puts on flesh and becomes a man so he can go through everything we go through. And so when we're suffering in sickness, he was a man right there holding the one that's suffering. He got as close to it as he could. I mean, God knows everything. He doesn't need to be instructed in anything, but he goes ahead and takes the extra step, puts on skin, and actually walks into the situation with the one that's suffering. Why? Compassion. He knows what you're going through. He knows the suffering you're experiencing. He knows the way it feels, and he is not distant from it. He is not looking at you and going, don't you know you need to get healed? You're making me look bad. He's looking at you, and he is moved. And the deepest part of his emotions, he's moved over your state. The one that thinks that God has forgotten about him, that is such a lie from the pit of hell because our God's name is compassion. The New King James uses the term and, and, and uh, translates that term, that Hebrew term I gave you, translates it mercy. But the NIV and the NAS, the Lord God, the Lord God, compassionate. The God who gently wants to hold and caress his children because he's moved in the depths of his being over our need and longs to alleviate the suffering. That's our God. That's his name. 
See, when God ties an attribute to his name, he makes that thing non-negotiable. When he, when he said, because in, in, when he talked to Moses, he said, my name, here's my name, I'll say my name before you. He says, the Lord God, and he says, compassionate, full of compassion. He's telling us the 100% way the Lord always looks at you in everything you go through, especially in sickness. I mean, you and I have been in that place where we're suffering, we've got flu I mean, you've got the 102 and a half, 103 fever. I mean, all the faucets are running. You're stuffed up, coughing. I mean, you got the NyQuil commercial. You're that guy, like times 10. And you're in bed, and you can't pray. You tried to pray, but, you know, you watch your words go, you know, on the floor. And you're like, surely, you know, God has forgotten me. He's smitten me. This is the botch of Egypt or something. It's one of those plagues out of Deuteronomy. I've done something. He's never forgotten. Never. You've never been suffering where he didn't feel your suffering. Never. He's always been moved with compassion because when he ties an attribute to his name, he's declaring his nature and the truth of how he always is. Compassionate. Compassionate. He's never not compassionate. He's always compassionate. He's always touched, moved, sympathetic over our sufferings. He's the Father that holds us and gently caresses us and then moves to alleviate the challenges and the trials that we go through. I don't know about you, but I want to be comforted and hugged and caressed by my Father who is touched over my situation when I'm suffering. And that's the Father we have. Now let's turn over to Psalm 103. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. It's compassionate. Oh, I love Jesus that touches lepers. I love the Jesus that kneels with the harlots. I love the Jesus that eats at the tax collector's house. He's moved with compassion. Over and over and over, he's moved with compassion, and he heals everybody. Everybody. Psalm 103 What a good chapter, by the way. David starts off instructing his soul to bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, is this. Hey, soul, bless the Lord. That's what he's telling. Bless the Lord, soul. Oh my soul, bless him. Why, David? 
He goes, and he instructs his heart, all that's within me, bless his holy name. Why, David? Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Okay, tell us why, David. He goes, because don't forget all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things, and who renews your youth like the eagle. This is such a good chapter. David gives us a treatise on the compassion of the Lord manifest to people. That's what this chapter is about. God's compassion manifest to humans. He starts off with seven benefits. We just read them all. Forgiveness, healing, redemption, loving kindness and mercy satisfying you, feeding you, renewing you, and executing righteousness and justice for you. Never forgetting you. Always moving on your behalf. He gives us seven benefits. And then in verse 8, he references Exodus 34, 6, when God says his name to Moses. He gives us four attributes of the nature of God. Merciful. Gracious, slow to anger, abounding in mercy. That word merciful is the Hebrew term for compassionate. He gives us all the benefits. It's not an exhaustive list. He gives us seven benefits. And then he gives us four attributes. He's giving us the attributes to explain why he does those benefits. That's a big point. He gives us the attributes of God to explain why God does those benefits. And then he gives us five actions and attitudes that God has towards us in verse 9. Five attitudes and actions. He won't always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He's not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. As the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. God's attitude and his actions towards us. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. And then this one. I love this. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. Because he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. That word for pity, compassion. Same term. He goes, this is the way he thinks about you. He goes, just like a natural father takes his little son, puts him on his lap, holds him and hugs him and rubs him and makes him feel all warm inside, that's how the father thinks about you. This is his action and his attitude towards you. Just as a father has compassion, just as one, as he gently holds his child, so the father gently is holding you. Just as a father is moved in his guts when his child is suffering, so the eternal father is moved inside when you're suffering. We had, we've had a very, very, uh, I, I would say, easy time raising our children. I, I mean, when I, by the time I was eight, I had broken both my arms. <laughs> my little guy is just not like that yet, so far, in the name of Jesus, they won't be. 
But the worst thing we ever had was uh, one of my sons cut himself in the forehead. It was a freak accident using a, uh, a blender, but it wasn't the, the knives on the blender. It was the top of the blender, the cup. And uh, one guy was drinking out of it, and my son was running at him. And when he took it out like that, the blades on the bottom caught my son in the forehead. And it punctured his forehead. And I, <laughs> it was like some sort of horror movie. Because little guys, when they get cut on the head, it's like, it's like their heart beats in their head. The blood is like, <laughs> I mean, it is coming out. I'm not trying to get so nasty, but I mean, it was, it was covering his face. And I was like, I mean, I hear screaming, and I come and I look, and I look at my son, and he looks like a monster. I mean, blood is all over him. I'm like, oh! But everything I ever learned was if somebody is just terribly jacked up, you never act like it's bad. You go, oh. It's not so bad. Inside, I'm going like, They've, you know, I'm thinking they've cut his jugular vein, you know, you know, I'm, I'm like freaking out. I go, you're fine, you're fine. Get off the rug, you're fine. <laughs> Didn't I? Put him outside on the front porch, you bleed on the concrete, it's not a problem. We were renting that place, I didn't want to have to buy him new carpet. And uh, I'm like, where is it? And he's you know, he's, how old was he? Six? Six? Five? Five? He's like, ah! I'm like, where is it? Ah! You know what I mean? There's nothing intelligible coming out. I'm like, you're fine. You're fine. It's a little blood. It's a little cut. Where is it? He goes, right there. And I put my hand up in the blood, and I see this little bitty puncture. I mean, it's just like nothing. I was like, oh, thank you, Jesus. Close it up with a butterfly Band-Aid. Totally fine. <clears throat> no stitches, nothing. Totally fine. That was, but that was the nearest call that we've had yet with any kind of a you know, major issue. But that, in that moment, the way I felt about my bloody son, I mean, everything in me went on high alert. The adrenaline spiked. I mean, I would have been you know, the world record holder in any race because the adrenaline was on high. I mean, I probably should have gone into powerlifting in that moment and set some world records because... You know, you know what I'm saying? When, when, when the emergency hits and everything explodes, you know, you, this intensity comes on you. And my heart, I wanted to do anything I could to help him. And I was so relieved when it was just this little puncture. I mean, it was a little deep, but it was just a puncture, so it was just easy to heal. But everything in me wanted to make it right. Whatever I've got to do right now to make this right. The whole world... I mean, World War III could have been hitting. It didn't matter. I wanted my son's head to be okay. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on you. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Why? Bless his holy name. How come? Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Why? Don't forget his benefits. What benefits? He forgives you and he heals all your diseases. Why? Not because he's trying to make himself look good, because he has compassion on you. He has compassion on you. 
He's connected to our state. He clarifies it in verse 14 around there. He says, it's your frame. He goes, he knows your frame. He's the one that constructed the frame of man. He's the one that got dirt from the ground and breathed life into it. He knows what you're made of. He knows the frailty of your state. He has compassion on you. Here's how he says it. He goes, as for man, his days are like grass. He goes, like a flower of the field. So he flourishes, so man flourishes. And then wind passes over it, and it is gone. And its place remembers it no more. He goes, I get it. He goes, I made you, and I know that your natural body, he goes, it's just like a blade of grass or a little flower. He goes, I get it. I understand your frailty and your weakness. Flowers spring up. Wind passes over it, and it's gone. He goes, that's what your bodies are like. He goes, I'm compassionate to that. That's why I heal you. That's why I heal you. Because if you're suffering with a migraine, or if you've got cancer, or if you've got something the doctors don't know how to touch, if you've got Alzheimer's or AIDS, or if you've got a cold, or whatever it is, he knows your frame. And he's moved over your suffering. I love it that I don't have to try to earn healing from him. I don't have to try to talk him into it. Compassion is his name. It's his nature. It's his natural flow. If I'm sick, he's sorry. If I'm suffering, his heart is on red alert. He's moved. I thought about the, the will of Jesus to heal the leper and how he establishes his will He takes the worst off guy, I mean the worst off guy, and heals him. He crosses the line on the law and heals him. He touches someone that's so contagious, Jesus could have contracted that as a human. And he heals him. How much more? Jesus, who has power coming out of him, how much more does he want to heal us? I think sometimes we have this mentality that if we twist God's arm good enough, if we pray this thing right, we get our healing doctrine down, we twist his arm good enough, you know, then he'll heal us. I want to propose to you that the compassionate God doesn't need to be talked into healing. He doesn't need to be talked into it. He already wants to do it. And so a lot of times people say, well, you're not healed because of your faith. And we end up feeling demeaned and hurt over that. But you know what we don't really recognize is that our faith is tied to this issue called the knowledge of God. And I wonder if sometimes our view of God disables us from being able to connect to Him in faith because we think stuff like we've got to twist His arm to get Him to like us. 
to get him to feel sorry for us. God, don't you know? He goes, of course I know. Because I know your frame. And I wonder if sometimes it's not so much, brother, you just couldn't believe. You just didn't have enough faith. I wonder if it's just not really that as much as our faith doesn't ignite because we don't have a proper vision, knowledge of who God is. We don't know the compassionate father that wants to gently hold his children. We don't know Jesus, the bridegroom, who's moved in the depths of his being with emotions when you're suffering. Moved with compassion. Here's where, here's where the rubber meets the road in the knowledge of God over this issue of healing. If we believe him to be uncompassionate, then we're saying that he doesn't care. And if we think he doesn't care, then we believe him to be cold and hard. And if we think he's cold and hard when we're sick, we think him to be unconcerned. And if we think him to be unconcerned, then we think we've got to do something to get him to be concerned. And if we think we've got to do something to get him to be concerned, what can you do? That's a dead-end road right there. And I think we end up staying sick because we think God doesn't care a whole lot think we think he doesn't he's not moved with the feelings of our infirmities Jesus Christ took the sickness and the sin of the whole world upon himself he was bruised for our infirmities wounded for our transgressions he was chastised in his mind the bible says the chastisement of our peace you know what that means? Our peace getting, getting frantic and, and getting anxious. You know when our peace gets chastised, when it gets, when it gets challenged and when it gets, you know, you overloaded and overwrought, you know, in our, in our emotions. He experienced chastisement on him. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And he was beaten mercilessly so we could be healed. How could he be one that doesn't care? He totally cares. He's totally compassionate. He heals us because he's compassionate. He's motivated by compassion. He's not unkind, inconsiderate, and insensitive and cold-hearted. He's totally interested. And when you're suffering, he's on high alert. And he wants to manifest healing to you. Beloved, we've got to get this. I want to invite the worship team to come. We've got to get this. That God's attitude toward us when we're suffering is not disinterested and disengaged. His attitude towards us when we're suffering is he is on high alert and connected to us in our state. He is the God who's compassionate. He cares. Yeah, let's just stand.